right. Hey, good morning. Three Circle Church, Happy New Year to you guys. I hope everyone is doing great and uh, really glad that you joined us today for our, our basically stepping into a new year. Now, what I know about stepping into a new year, and I'm not going to make fun of you for it because I do it too, is we make resolutions, right? And so next week, we're going to start our new series on Elijah. But today, we're going to talk about how do you step into a new year and how should we as Christians do that? And I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting things to change. Like, I bet most of you in this room want 2022 to be better than your 2021. How many of you would, would say, yeah, I want it to be better? All right. Nothing wrong with that. I think that's good. But, but we all understand statistically, by and large, that most people's resolutions end, they're basically done by like the end of January, right? We've given up on them. Why do our years continue to look very similar to one another? Why can't we get to the lasting change that I think we all want? And I think today what we want to do is see what does the Bible say about that? How does the Bible speak into how we can actually have change in our lives? And I think it absolutely does that. So here's the approach we're going to take. And I know often the first Sunday of the year we have guests that come in and go, hey, we're going we're gonna to start going to church this year. And if you're new at Three Circle, we've had so many guests all day long. Man, welcome. We're really honored that you're here with us. I want you to know who we are. We're a Bible church. So what we do is we open the Bible. I am simply, and my team, we're just not interesting enough to have anything good to say week after week after week. So we go to the Bible. The Bible is our authority. And so today, that's what we're going to do. I believe the Word of God even speaks into how we should step into a new year. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And our approach is going to be we're going to look at Hebrews this beautiful passage from Hebrews, and then to understand what we are being told in Hebrews, we're going to let the Bible answer that question for us as well. So Hebrews is going to tell us to do very important things, and then in the book of Ephesians, it's going to explain how to go about doing that. And that's what we're going to do today, and I think that could really change how we step into this new year. So let's go to the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, all right? And it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And Lord Jesus, we pray that you speak to us today through your word. Illuminate the scriptures for us by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we look at what was just written to us in Hebrews, I believe it tells us so much about how to step into this new year. First of all, it says two things. It says, lay aside the weight and sin and then let us run with endurance the race. Let's dive into what's being said here. First of all, the first phrase that we need to ask is, who is this cloud of witnesses? The first line says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What is that? Now, I've heard well-intentioned preachers say that that is telling you that the Christians that have gone before us are in heaven and that they're all watching us and cheering us on. And, and that is a very sentimental view of it. It feels real good. The only small problem with it is it's wrong. All right, that's the only thing because that's not what that's saying. So I promise you those that have gone before us have other things to do, okay? And it's all good. So what is this saying? It's supposed to be very encouraging for us. This is what it's saying. It's saying that the people that have gone before us, recorded in the Bible, we have these witnesses. Now, Paul was writing to the audience 
and, and the book is called the Hebrews, he was writing to the early church. So who was their cloud of witnesses? Who would that be? It would be the people in the Old Testament. And what Paul was saying was, we have this record, this evidence of how God interacts with people in the Bible. And that that surrounds us when we go through hard things. And, and the people that he's writing to in the book of Hebrews are about to be under the rule of Nero. And the emperor Nero is the worst of all of them. So when you see movies about Christians being persecuted, it was Nero that did all that. He burned them on poles. He fed them to lions. It was awful. That's what these people, the book of Hebrews, they're about to go through that. And Paul is telling them, hey, as you get ready to go through that, you're surrounded by a witness the lives of Abraham, Jacob, Isaiah, all those guys, their lives and how God was faithful to them is a witness to all of us as we walk through life that God who was faithful to them is also going to be faithful to us. Aren't you thankful for the witness of scripture to the faithfulness of God? That's what it is. All right, so that's what the Bible is telling us there. And with that, the next thing it says is it gives us, so here we go. How do you step into a new year and why have most of us tried to change in a new year and it typically doesn't work out? It doesn't stick. Why? Because we get the timing wrong. Hebrews lays out a sequence for real change that I think is important. Look what it says again in that first verse. It says, lay aside. It's in your hand out there in front of you. Lay aside every weight. That has to happen first. Then let us run. You first have to lay aside. Then you run your race. The problem is most of us want to run the race before we lay anything aside. So we go into every new year and we go, these are the new things I'm going to do. I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. I'm going to have a quiet time every morning. I'm going to read Leviticus and make a burn offering before the morning. And I'm going to make a five-course breakfast for my family every day. And me and my spouse, we're going to pray together four times a day. And there's all these commitments, right? And you haven't laid anything aside. You're adding all these new things. Let me, let me tell you how this works. So I have a love-hate relationship with my garage, all right? Some of you may have that same relationship. Now here's the problem. Here's what I've done for years, Okay. So what I do is I take everything in my garage and I pull it out. And then I reorganize it all and I get it all back in there, okay? The problem is I'm just reorganizing the same stuff. Y'all, I don't have toddlers anymore. My kids are bigger, yet there's toddler stuff in my garage, okay? Why am I still moving that same stuff around? So I understand for it to really change, what's got to happen is half of the stuff just has to go. For it to be different and operate the way I want it to, some stuff just has to go. It has to be left behind. It can't go back in there anymore. It's not going to work because more stuff comes in. The garage isn't getting bigger. That's not how it works. So some stuff has to go away. That is true in our lives. Many of you in this room, every year ends up looking the same because you carry the same bad patterns, the same bad behaviors, the same stuff. You try to add new stuff, but you don't lay anything aside. You don't give anything up. And so what Hebrews says here for real change to happen in our lives the first thing that has to happen is you have to lay aside two things in particular, every weight and every sin. There are sins and there are weights. Now, let me tell you the difference. Sin in your life, the Holy Spirit pointed out, needs to go, period. It is rebellion against God and Jesus died to cover it. You need to get it out of your life. But then there are things that are called weights. There are things in your life that may not be sin, but they're still stupid. You know what I'm saying? For instance, you may could argue that spending two and a half hours a day on Facebook is not sinful. Still stupid, right? Y'all with me? You understand? Is stupid too forceful? I'm sorry. Uh, a wrong allocation of your time. 
How many of you have ever gotten to the end of your week and you looked at your cell phone and it told you how long you've been on your cell phone and you thought, oh man, I could have done a lot of, th- I could have written a novel with the time I spent on my cell phone. It's very telling, isn't it? So the Bible's telling you here, there's things in your life that you need to get rid of, get it out of there. And then there's things that you still need to get rid of. And it's not that they're wicked and evil. You just don't need them anymore. My middle son's little motorcycle that he rode when he was six years old, it's awesome. There's nothing wicked about it. But why is it still in my garage? You know what I'm saying? Because he doesn't drive it anymore. So it's not wicked. It still needs to go though, right? So what the book of Hebrews is telling us, real change can happen in our lives. But it has to go with the sequence that God wisely gave us in our lives. And the sequence is, lay aside, then you can run. That's what has to happen in our lives. And all the while, you'll see that Paul brings it back to the gospel and it brings it back to Jesus. So here in this passage, it says, as you're doing the laying aside and running your race, keep looking to Jesus, who's the founder and perfecter of our faith. He did it perfectly. And he did these things. And in verse 3, it says, don't grow weary and don't grow faint-hearted. It's because it's hard. What we're talking about is hard here. So listen, we want real change. So the first thing we got to do is lay aside some things. We're going to call it the lay aside list. So the first list we're going to have for you is the lay aside list. And there's some little lines for you there. But here's the deal. I want to warn you. Before you start making your own list, let me help you here. You don't know what to put on that list. You don't. You think you do. In your mind, you're like, I'm going to write, I know right now what I'm going to leave behind. But you're going to write the wrong stuff. See, this is where we need God. Not only to tell us that we need to lay aside before we try to run, but we need him to tell us what we need to lay aside. And he does. And this is where the same author, Hebrews and Ephesians, we go to Ephesians and God gives us the things we need to lay aside. He gives us a list. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and see what it says. Look at what he says about what must be laid aside. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. There it is. There is a God-given lay-aside list. As you move into the new year, you got to lay aside some stuff. Look, if you're here today and you're like, I'm going to get in shape, some of y'all decide, look, you went and dropped a bunch of money at Lululemon, y'all got y'all that workout outfit, and by faith, you bought it in the size you're going to be in three months after you work out. And I'm just saying, you be careful wearing that thing, man. If that thing comes off, it's going to hit somebody in the face, all right? So be careful. I'm glad you did that. You go for that, but I'm just warning you. No workout plan can, out, can override what you eat. So like if you work out every day and you're still pounding sausage biscuits for breakfast, you're not going to outwork that. You've got to run like 10 miles to run off a half a sausage biscuit, okay? So you've got to change some stuff. For you to get where you want to go physically, you're going to have to leave some stuff behind. Fast food, left behind. Pretty much anything delicious, left behind. <laughs> Protein shakes, dirt, and lettuce. In three months, you'll look great. You'll be miserable, angry. But you'll look great. All right? The same happens spiritually for us in our lives. Spiritually, there's things that need... Listen, there are things that you have allowed to stay in your life too long. And you took them from 2018 to 2019. And you took them from 2019 to 2020. And you're going to try to take it into next year. And it's why real change can't happen in your life. Because you keep reorganizing the garage of your life. And you refuse to take anything to the dump. But God is telling you today in his word, if you want real change, it's time to leave some stuff behind. 
You're going to have to leave some behaviors. You're going to have to leave some thought patterns. You're going to have to leave some stuff behind to move forward in a way that is real change. And here are the things that must be left behind. Paul says, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander must be put away. Now, that phrase, put away, in the original Greek language is much stronger than our English language can give it to us. In fact, I want to give you a word picture of what he meant here. How many of you have ever been walking through your yard or in the woods and you walked into one of these accidentally? Uh Uh-huh, I can feel it in the room. I've often said that if you could have had a trail camera on me in the woods, the many times I've walked through a spider web in the woods, you would have won a bunch of money off of what happened next. Because when I walk through a spider web, I don't like spiders. I'm not afraid of snakes. I grew up in a swamp in Mississippi, basically, okay? Half of my grandfather's property was swamp. I mean, I have waded into uh, lily pad lakes off of a river, waded waist deep with moccasins, can see them out in the water and just go fishing with my friends. Like, snakes don't bother me. Spiders, on the other hand, I don't like spiders. I don't understand what's going on with a spider. So my mind, when I walk through a spider web, My mind does not say, there's a spider web on you. My mind immediately says, whatever made that spider web is now on you. It's somewhere on you. I've been in 20 degree hunting weather before and taken half my clothes off trying to get rid of whatever it was because I don't like spiders. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, And let me tell you, when I'm getting that off of me, whatever that is, it becomes violent. If you're near me, I will harm you. I want it off of me. That is what, listen... I'm not just being funny here. That is exactly what Paul was saying when he said, get this off of you. These things, get them off of you. They are vile. They will suck the life out of you. They are not Christ-like. Paul says, do whatever it takes to root this stuff out and get it off of you. And let's look at the list he gives us. The first thing he says is bitterness. Why does he start with bitterness? Because bitterness is not an action. It is a posture. It starts with your posture in life. Bitterness is the posture of our culture right now. We even call it something. We call it cancel culture. If we can find something you said 30 years ago off off the cuff and someone can find it, they will destroy you. It is cancel culture. That's what we do. We cancel everybody. We're all mad. Our starting point in our culture is anger. Our starting point is the posture of bitterness. Now, look, I, I love coaching my kids in different sports. And so... Right now, I'm coaching my daughter's basketball team. Absolutely love it. And a few of the girls never play basketball. So they'll walk in, and when they start playing basketball, they'll be standing like this. Like, hi, here we go. And I have to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. Don't stand like that because you're, you're not strong right now. I'll tell them, hey, get your feet like this. Stagger your feet. And then get your hips underneath you and bend your knees a little bit. And then square your shoulders back. And now feel how strong you are. That's a posture. Watch this. From which you can shoot a basketball, steal a ball, dribble a ball, hit a baseball, pitch a baseball, carry the football. All of those things come from, watch, posture, right? Bitterness is a posture from which anger, unforgiveness, malice, and clamor come. Your posture, it starts with your posture. And bitterness, let me just tell you, what I'm describing for you is radical Christianity. Radical Christianity is not you running out there and changing the world. You know what radical Christianity is? Living like Jesus every day in your home, in your life, in normal life, in restaurants, in school, in the workplace. That's what radical Christianity looks like. 
And the whole world's bitter. So if you stop being bitter, guess what? Your light just got brighter in the world around you. But everybody's angry all the time. Bitterness is a posture. Paul says, get that out of you. Don't live like that. Can I tell you, if you want to change your marriage this year, and a lot of you do, you're like, I want my marriage to be better this year. Stop being bitter. Stop letting the starting point of your marriage be we're angry. Stop assuming your spouse means something bad by everything they say. Start being graceful. Start thinking better. Of the, do you see what I'm saying? That will change the temperature of the room. And Paul is saying, this has to go for you to get where you want to go. The next thing is wrath. Wrath and anger. Wrath is different than anger. What is wrath? Wrath is when in your anger you try to settle the score and handle the justice. God says humans should not have wrath. You want to know why? Because we mess it up. Wrath is not, I'm not good at wrath. You want to know why? Because I'm a sinner. Oh, I'm saved by grace. I've got two natures going on here, but I still have the flesh. And my flesh gets in the way. How many of you know your flesh gets in the way sometimes too? Well, I've been around some of y'all during ball games. I know how you are. Yeah. The flesh gets in the way. So God says, humans, you don't handle the wrath. God is perfect in his wrath. His wrath is good. He exacts justice through and in his anger in a perfect way. There is no sin. But with humans, we mess it up all the time. So we're not to be wrathful. Get that away. And then anger. Anger, if you let anger sit there, anger that's not dealt with becomes bitterness. The Bible says be angry, but do something with it. Don't sin. Don't let it sit there either. The difference between anger and bitterness is that anger is the beginning point. Bitterness is where it lands. If you don't deal with your anger, if you don't take it to the Lord. And see, Christians aren't supposed to be bitter and angry and wrathful people. We don't cancel people. We restore people. We don't write people off. We dignify people. And, and it's not that we overlook sin or overlook wickedness. No, no, no. We're willing to call things out. But we handle people in a way that is glorifying to God. That is the difference. So Paul says, get bitterness and wrath and anger away from you. And then we have these two twin issues here that are huge in our culture. And it's clamor and slander. This is huge. Clamor and slander. What is clamor and slander? Well, clamor, another word for it that would be more modern for us is the idea of drama. Clamor is where everyone is all stirred up and you just stirred up more. Where you try to make the situation even worse than it already is. Clamor. It's stirring the pot. It's drama. I'll give you a little something I really believe. Conflict is inevitable. Drama is a choice. Conflict is just part of being humans. Look, we just took a trip, me and my family. I love my family. I love my immediate family. I love my extended family. We all got on a big, like, people mover van, somewhere between a bus and a van. And we went to Dallas for the Cotton Bowl. And we had an absolute blast. But guess what? You put a bunch of people in little hotel rooms. You're trying to get around a big city you've never been. And there's, you know, with COVID and all this going on, restaurants don't have as many workers. You're waiting in lines. You're trying to get in the stadium. Guess what? There is friction, right? It's normal. So friction's normal. There's no problem with that. But what becomes a problem is when we create drama. And you start going, you know what? I know what you meant by that. You're always like that. Every time, you know, listen, this is what I've learned. I've learned that if I am looking for a reason to be offended, I will find it every time. And you know what? If you're looking for a reason to be mad, you can find it too. Think about this. You, 
when you're having dinner with your family the next time, just think, if you go in thinking, you know what? My mother-in-law is going to say something like she does every time. You know what? She will. Because you're looking for it. Right? Guess what? Your mother-in-law may be thinking, I bet he's going to say something just like he always does. They're thinking the same thing about you. And because they're looking for it, you will too. That's how this works. Christians aren't supposed to be that way. We have a different compass inside of us. And so Paul says, stop this. Paul says, don't take that into this next year again. Don't do that. Stop that. That is huge for us to get these things out of our lives. Clamor is drama. And then the last thing here is get away from clamor and slander. Now, our culture right now is full of slander. What is slander? It's when you intentionally try to destroy someone or try to hurt someone with your words, what you're saying about them. And what we have now, you understand we're in a culture now where anyone can accuse you of anything. Right now, anyone out there could accuse you of something and then through social media magnify it to the world. We live in that kind of society. Christians are not supposed to act that way. Paul says you get that stuff off of you. That is not how you are to operate. That is not how you are to act. Get that off of you. Put it away from you along with all malice. So that is our lay aside list. If I'm going to clean up the garage of my life, I've got to leave this stuff out. This stuff needs to go to the dump. Don't try to sell it on Facebook Marketplace. No one else needs it either. Don't drop it off at Goodwill so you can get that little tax write-off. Don't do it. Take the dump. This stuff needs to go. Y'all with me, church? This isn't who we are anymore. So look at Hebrews, though. It doesn't just say lay aside everything. Then it says now run your race. Now that you've laid all that stuff aside, let's now run the race. Let's now move forward. Well, how do we do that? Well, let's look at the next verse. Ephesians 4, 32 says this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So we got a to-don't list. Now we got a to-do list. Here's what to do. Paul says, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That is one of the most radical statements of what we should be as Christians. If you live that one verse out, You will change your home, you will change your marriage, you will change your family, you'll change the world around you. Your light will shine so bright against the backdrop of this bitter world that we're in if you live like this. He starts with kindness. If you're writing your move forward list here, this is what we call it, the move forward list. The other was the lay aside. I would write down the first one is kindness. On those lines right before that verse, write down kindness. Why does it start with kindness? Because kindness is your new posture. Your old posture was bitterness. The new posture is I'm starting with kindness as a Christian. And you know what? This is so hard. You know what's easy? Getting mad. You know what's easier? Thinking the worst of people. You know what's easy? And I'm just telling you from experience. What's easy is to just get aggravated and frustrated and mad at everyone. So last night we were driving home. And, and all of us loaded up on this bus, and we were all trying to be nutritious, and we got hungry in the middle of the night. We were really trying to be healthy, so we went to Whataburger, of course. And uh, it's the middle of the night. And so we're tired and all that. And we walk in, and so I've got me and my family. My brother-in-law's got himself and his family, and then we have grandparents. And we all walk into Whataburger very, very late at night. And we walk in, and the lady behind the counter, the young lady behind the counter, obviously does not want us there. She's not happy we're there, and she's not happy to be there at all okay and so when I walk up and start ordering I wish as your pastor can I just be transparent for a minute as your pastor can I be honest with you 
I wish I could tell you that I walked in and just, just acted like, just in my heart, just like Jesus. Just acted like Jesus. I didn't say anything out loud, but I know what was going on in my heart. I've got to be honest with you. I ended up not being happy with her either. I was first up to order, and she was so rude and dismissive of us, wouldn't look us in the eye, wasn't really helpful at all, would literally look in the other direction, did not tap in the counter like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And in my mind, I'm just telling you what started going on in my heart. It started because my posture wasn't right when I walked in. So it started with, you know what? I'm dropping all this money on Whataburger, and, and she's treating me like this. And like burgers like are 20 bucks a piece now, right? It's crazy. Everything's more expensive. And so I'm really frustrated. And as it went on, I got to the point where literally in my heart, I started going, you know what? This ge- like an old guy, this generation. That's why I started thinking. These young people. I stood back watching. I got here. In my mind, one time I thought, if we go to war, we're going to lose because this is the kind of people we're dealing with right here. I am officially an old guy. Uh-huh. But then my brother-in-law went up there. My brother-in-law had a different posture, all right? And he started a conversation with her. When he got done ordering, he came over to me, and I'm over there contemplating how we're going to win the next world war. <laughs> he says, hey, man. He says, uh, and I, again, I didn't say, I'm just being honest with you about what's in my heart. Because it's easy. It's easy to just go there. It's easy. What's harder is the posture of kindness. He said, hey, man, I started talking to her, and that young lady has had to spend most of her holidays right there at that counter because of her situation. She's had to work. She's a teenager. She's a high school student. And she was here on New Year's Eve, and now she's here on New Year's Day. She's worn out, and half their workers didn't show up, and there's like three people running the whole place. And I sat there, and I looked at him and said, don't ever talk to me like this again. No, I'm just kidding. I said, (laughs) you're right, man. You're right. See, kindness is hard. But if we start with that posture, we end up being radically different than the rest of the world, right? And, and so Paul says here, once you put off the other, here's how 2022, you're, the things that count. Look, I hope you lose the 20 pounds. I hope you love that Peloton bike. I hear it's a great way to hang a towel, but it, I hope you use yours. I hope it all works out, all right? But here's, here's what will really change 2022 is these things. These things change our relationships, change how we treat other humans. And this stuff glorifies God, makes the whole world go, man, y'all are weird. Why aren't you angry like us? Why aren't you like us? And it's kindness. Then it's tenderheartedness. What is tenderheartedness? A great characteristic of being tenderhearted is that your heart is not hard, which means, watch this, you can, you can listen to people. You don't make up your mind about every situation and every person so fast. I had made up my mind around, about that young lady last night. Just like that. But that's a person I don't even know. You know what's more an issue is that sometimes I'll make up my, my mind about my wife in a moment. Like what she meant. What kind of mood she's in. Oh, don't leave me hanging up here and act like you hadn't done this. <laughs> don't we all do that? See, Paul is warning us that these are the things that change our lives, and they're hard. But this is what it, listen, guys, this is Christianity. This is what it looks like to be like Jesus, and it changes everything. And finally, he says, and we're to be forgiving. We don't, we don't keep records of wrong. We, we let it go. Now, this does not mean to overlook wickedness. It does not mean we don't hold each other accountable. Understand that. But what it does look like is we forgive. We cancel debts. Because let me tell you something that will make you bitter real fast is leaving unforgiveness in your heart. One great writer said that you remaining unforgiving is like you being mad at another person, but you drinking the poison. 
It impacts you. And Paul says, get all that off like a spider web and embrace these simple things that, again, Jesus modeled for us. Look what it says. As God in Christ forgave you. So you go, well, I don't know how to be like God. Yes, you do, because he came in human form. We have seen what it looks like to be like Jesus. And let me just make this clear. You will never forgive anyone of as much as Jesus has forgiven you. No one's ever going to wrong you more than you have wronged him. And I have wronged him. No one. You're not going to come close. Five lifetimes of you forgiving people won't get you close to doing what Jesus has done for you. And that's why Paul keeps coming back to it. Paul says, like Jesus, you do this. Like Jesus, you do that. It's hard, but it changes everything when we do. And then finally, I want you to see this last verse, this last verse that we're going to look at. And, and you may think, wait, we just ended the chapter because the verses we just read in chapter 4, but Ephesians was just a letter. It's just one letter that Paul wrote, and we put in the chapters and the verses so we could organize it. So he just kept talking. And that's why I know that verses 1 through 3 of chapter 5 that we're about to look, like, look at are connected to what we just read. In fact, the word therefore, they'll put it up on the screen, Ephesians 5, 1 through 3, therefore means it's connected to what, what was just said. So we just read the lay aside list, and we just read the here's the move forward list from Ephesians. He goes on and he says, therefore, now that you have the two lists and you're ready to move forward, Paul summarizes. He says, so here's what I'm saying. With all of it, I'm saying, watch this, imitate God. Be imitators of God, and here's how, as beloved children. How many of you parents and grandparents know that your kids act like you sometimes? Sometimes I look at my kids, they're amazing. I look at my kids and I'll go, man, they'll do something good or react in a good way. And I'll think, wow, they, they're learning. They've picked up some things. But there's a lot of times my kids will react and do things. And I look and I go, ooh, I know where they got that from. Their mama. <laughs> Just kidding. Just a little joke. No, they got that from me. From me. I see me sometimes in my kids. And, and sometimes that's good and sometimes it's not. But either way, I know they're imi they grew up imitating me. I've taught my kids how to handle anger, good and bad ways. I've taught them how to handle situations, sometimes good, sometimes not. God says, hey, the same way your kids have imitated you, and they all have, you imitate Jesus. You imitate him. In other words, stop letting the world tell you how to be. Too often Christians take our cues from the world. We take our cues on money from the world. We think, well, everybody else is building huge houses. We need to as well. Everyone else is materialistic. We need to be as well. Everyone else spends money this way. We need to as well. Everyone else is mad about this and bitter about that and unforgiving about this. Well, that's the way we'll be as well. Why don't we in 2022 take our cues from heaven instead of taking our cues from hell? Why don't we take our cues from Jesus instead of taking our cues from the world? Why don't we let Jesus be the one we imitate? That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm hoping for. Too often, we're imitating the wrong thing. Our lives look too much like everyone else's. So the Bible says here, be imitators of God like children. And what that will result in is verse 2. Walk in love. That's what Jesus did. That's the posture. Walk in love. It's the hardest thing in the world. Hardest thing in the world is when you have just been crucified to forgive. That's hard. Hardest thing in the world is put your hands around a young man's face who you have mentored for three and a half years and look at him and say, 
you are about to betray me. And him look at you and go, I will not. And the next morning, he does. Stabs you in the back. And the next chance you get, you're looking at him going, you know I love you, right? You know I'm here to forgive you. I'm not done with you. That's Jesus. So we have his example. His example before us. It is hard. But we are fueled. The fuel in the tank of us living this way is the gospel. It is what Jesus has already done and modeled for us. That's why Paul says, walk in love like he did, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. It is sacrificial. It is hard. It is easier to be mad. It is easier to be angry. It is easier to pull the trigger on that Facebook post to just light somebody up. It's easy. It's easy. What's hard is to be like Jesus. That's hard. It's so hard that we can't do it on our own. We need the Holy Spirit, but we have him. We have the Holy Spirit. We can live this way. And if we do, it will turn our marriages, our homes, our children, our workplaces, our church. It will turn communities upside down. This is how it's done. It's radical. He gave himself up for us. He warns us at the very end. So with all that in mind, watch out for all impurity and covetousness. In other words, the two twin issues we deal with. Watch this. Sensuality, our cravings. And covetousness, which is materialism. I want what you have, or I want what I'm craving. These two sides of who we are as people. Material things and sensual things. Paul says, watch out for those two things as you move forward. We're going to call this the don't give up list, what we just read. This is the don't give up. Paul knew it was going to be hard for you. That's why both in Hebrews and here in Ephesians, he says, don't grow weary. Don't give up. It's hard. We all know that the diet is easy January the 4th. But after two weeks of turning down sausage biscuits, in week three, you're like, I'm going to have that biscuit today. Right? I mean, you can only, look, you can only eat the grilled nuggets at Chick-fil-A so long. We all know they're not good. <laughs> Got to fry those things. Some, I'm going to get an email on that. They are good. Well, they're good until you've had the fried ones <laughs> dipped in Chick-fil-A sauce with some fries. Week three, it gets hard. That's why we give up. Paul writes here, and he, listen, church. He says, I'm giving you a new way to live, and he is not going to hold back. He says, it is hard. It is hard. But you can do it because the Holy Spirit is in you. And Paul is telling us it's the best way to live. Get the other stuff off as fast as you can and live this way. And watch how it changes everything. Now, once again, as we enter into a new year, my hope for you is, man, I hope you have a great year. I hope that you get in shape. I hope that you have the financial goals met that you try to meet. I hope you take that trip you always wanted to. I hope it's a great year. I hope a lot of dreams come true. But as a pastor, what I really hope is that you'll become more like Jesus this year. And I hope 2022 looks more different than 2021 than any two years in your life. That's what I'm hoping for. I hope that there is such significant change between your Christ-likeness this coming year and the years before that, that no other time in your life would compare to it. That's my prayer for you today as we obey 
and we follow Jesus. Don't give up. Don't give up. How do we not give up? Imitate God and walk in love. Be like him. Just like a kid. Be like him. Follow him. It's hard. But it's exactly what we have been saved and created to do. Let's pray together. Father God, even as we sit in this room, we listen to the rain hitting this roof. We're reminded of your goodness. We're reminded of how good you are. You are good. And Lord, we're reminded of your presence. That you're not asking us to do anything that you won't empower us to do. You've given us the fuel in the tank to do these things. So my prayer is today for every one of us that we leave this building and, and live out your word. This is not some ambiguous list that we pulled off the internet or some magazine we read. This is the living word of God telling us what needs to stay behind and what needs to be added in. So as we reorganize the garage of our lives, stepping into this year, my prayer is that we would do it according to your word so we would obey you and that you'd empower us to do that. We're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.